season two, episode one of Eat This, Drink That. We are with, I'm going to say Steve first. We're with expert falconer, Steve Greer, <laughs> and wine expert as well on the side. And we have food expert, TV host, Ali Khan, and I'm Ryan on the producing. And let's get kicked off with this season. Steve, what is your drink that for today? Let us know about something to drink. Yeah, we got a whole new format. So we're going to start talking about what to drink. And Ali's going to come in behind with all kinds of ideas for food pairings. Um, so I've got ideas. I, I've got big ideas. I really, so we're right in that threshold where it's going to start getting cold, but it's still pretty warm in a lot of places, especially where you guys are in Austin and um, L.A., we're going to go to Spain, and we're going to focus on a few whites, um, mainly because no one ever thinks about Spanish whites. Most people do not think about Spanish whites. One of them has grown in popularity a little bit. I'm not going to... We're going to go to Rias Baches for Albariño, Rueda for the Great Verdejo, and then I have a really special wine that I usually buy whenever it is finally released. It's... Um, a Rioja Blanco, which is a great Vieira, um, but this is a weird. So we have to have one totally weird thing. It's actually this is the, I, I live for the weird. <laughs> if there's one thing about eat this, drink that, is I think like you know I feel like coming away from it, uh, drink different yeah. has been like one of the secret motto. But now I'm like. Let's get weird. Yeah. Season two, we're getting weird. weird. I'm into the weird. So I'm so, actually, I'm not even. Were you listing the regions? I'm yeah. sorry. Were you listing the region and then saying what the style was afterwards? Because it's great, so great. fast. That's the grape. So let's, the let's, grape. let's dive okay. in. I'm going to grab the wines. So uh, for the podcasters, I'm going to tell you what the wine is, but you can also see the bottle on uh, YouTube. So this oh, is from Rias Baches. So that is a uh, ocean side portion of Spain. So it sits right above Portugal. Um, Rias Baches means lower estuaries, basically. So it's where the sea and the rivers all meet. There's five rivers that are pumping out through this area. Um, so it's a totally different climate. Um, can be a little humid. Uh, the soils vary, but... You know, um, the grape that grows there is called Albariño. And Ooh, the unique stuff. Yes. I heard of that yeah, yeah. one. I think you had one back a long time, a couple months ago when we were doing Indian food and we did a pairing with yes. Albariño. Um, yeah. Albariño is unique because of the rich fruit that you get. So pear, it still has some green apple, but more pear, rich pear fruit. Um, but it has very high acidity. So it balances it out. It also usually will have a little bit more alcohol. Um, so there's a texture to the wine. So this is 14.5%. This is from a winery called Valmenor. Um, it is 100% Albariño. Um, it's from one of the river areas called Orosal. So O and then R-O-S-A-L. There's five very distinct regions within... Um, this happens to be the lowest, the most southern. Um, it's interesting. On the other side of the border to Portugal, it's where Vino Verde is produced. So, oh, I've had that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, Vino Verde like, used to be, you know. Hipster, uh, yes, that was going around L.A. for yes. a couple Vino years. Verde blew up five, six years That's ago. That's an L.A. wine, I feel like, because you can sip on it. Yeah. It like kind of looks like it's in a Sprite bottle, yes. screen. You know, yep. it's got a little bit of fizz. You know, it's like day drinking wine. And it's lower. Yeah, you can pretend like you don't want to get hammered, uh, but you still do. You're not. You're not. Yes. You're not. You're like not getting hammered. Yeah. You're like, I'm good all day. Yeah. Like, when did you get to this party? 10 a.m.? It's like 6 p.m. That's the difference. It says Vino Verde. That's yeah. the difference. Yeah. In Rias Pachas, uh, there's a little more alcohol than Vino Verde. Vino Verde sometimes is almost bottled while the fermentation is still right at the end of completion. So there's a slight effervescence on the palate. Little, little That's why it's bubbles. fizzy. Huh? Yeah. Okay. But Albariño okay. is a more serious wine than Vino Verde. Um, you get this rich textured fruit, but it, the lift, everything stays very fresh. 
acid in a wine keeps things very fresh and lifted. Um, and also palate cleansing. So it'll stand up to a range of foods. Um, so that's Rias Pachas. That's Alvarenga. And wait, I got to ask, what's this bottle setting me back? Because when I'm looking at a wine, I want to know how much it is. So this, the I think, was 15. This was 15. Fair um, now, I also tried to find wines that you guys are all going to be able to find across the country. This one might be a little more difficult. This is actually uh, from Casella Imports out of uh, Virginia, out of D.C. He's an MS. He's a master of song that has his own company. Um, I didn't even realize it was Casella when I bought it, but a friend of mine actually works for Casella. So uh, I'm like, oh, this was bonus. Um, Wait, you know, I got to ask, because I've been, frankly, hyping you up as a psalm. You're a psalm, right? You're well, a psalm. I have psalmed in a restaurant. I have my um, <laughs> level one quartermaster sommiers, but I left the court a long time You're ago. You're a quarter psalm. So That's what I was But I have my W set diploma, which I think way outranks most of the quartermaster sommiers. That's two years okay. of constant exams and papers and... You still have to do 12 wines blind and write uh, five essays all within three hours. Um, I'm yeah. so glad you yeah, asked this, Ali, because I, I was curious to know this as well. Because, yeah. Because, yeah. you know, because you said master psalm. Yeah. How far are you off from a master psalm? So I, I don't do the court anymore. So there's basically three three different study groups you have the quartermaster uh -huh. sommiers the one that have been going through all the controversy lately um uh -huh. and then you have the w set which is the wine and spirits education trust out of london is almost uh -huh. like the triple a going into the major league baseball because major major is the master of wine so that's in my opinion master of wine is the number one so master of wine is all the people that write all the books. So Jancis Robinson is probably the most favorite. This is the Oxford Companion to Wine. I love how he pulls all of this stuff. This was a tangent, and he still, I mean, really? <laughs> yeah. You're like, you're a quarter psalm. He's like, let me tell you about quarter psalms. Uh, yeah. Steve, here's, here's what we got. Steve's AAA, and the major, there, there's probably a team... Let's call it um, Marlins. You're like, you know what? Let's, let's call this guy yeah, up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Hey, it's still baseball. You know what I mean? Yeah. So good to know. Good so, to know. All right. I'm debating. I'm not going to get too far off. I want to get into the next one. Yeah, Hopefully yeah. it's weird. If it wasn't. Right now, I mean, you know, yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm not overselling it. I just want to okay. make sure I'm not overselling it. So I'm close to a big decision. I might apply for the Master of Wine program. It's a, it's a full commitment. Um, you know, you're looking at five years of oh. studying, exams, and travel. Um, oh, but there's only 300 and something in the world that have ever passed the uh, MW exam. LA, LA, by the way, yeah, LA has three. I think it's three. There's, uh, I know two for sure. Um, you mentioned travel, though. That makes sense, though, because you actually have to go. You want to go to the places, see the yeah. uh, terroir, if, yeah. if you will. So I've been to uh, most of the regions in France. I've been to the Mosul in Germany. I've done most of central to northern Italy outside of Friuli. Um, but I haven't done anything in the southern hemisphere. Nothing. Okay. And... Funny enough, I was going to bring it up, but I didn't want to embarrass you. <laughs> yeah. You haven't been to South Africa, Steve? No, South Africa, Argentina, How dare you. Australia. How dare you not go to Madagascar yes. to learn more about Riesling? Yes. <laughs> so, but Spain, funny enough, I was supposed to go to Spain on a trip with an importer when I took the job that I'm basically currently in. So I was this close to a full... Spanish trip. So let's go to wine number two. Yes. I'm not as exciting as the wine. So Rias Pachas, Albarino, number one. Um, you will be able to find versions of this, other wineries. Uh, mm -hmm. Martin Codex, 
Bergens, Albarino. These are going to be at most of your wine shops and maybe even a couple of the um, higher end grocery stores. But let's go here Pavilion. because I chose this for two reasons. One, Jorge Ordonez is the reason why Spanish wine uh, really blew up early 2000s. So he was an importer. His name is awesome. Yeah, that's a great. That's a great name. Like, can we just acknowledge that? So that's a great. This winery is actually you'll be able to find this wine everywhere. What's um, the name? Uh, so Jorge. It is from the winery Bodega Ordonez. So he now has his own winery in Rueda, which is a very, I think, a very special place. And I'll tell you why because, um, I'll tell you in a second. It's, I'm assuming this has got to be some sort of family name. Nasia is the name of the wine, but it is uh -huh. Rueda. The reason I chose this is old vines. Well, you can find this everywhere. It's old vines. It's also. Okay, I got to stop because you said it before. What does that mean, old vines? So that means usually some of the more commercial wineries are going to start ripping out the vines around 15 to 20 years of age. So it produces more fruit. As it ages, the fruit becomes more concentrated, but it produces a lot less. Oh, um, okay. so Rueda, old vine Rueda is probably a little more common than say old vine Cabernet in Napa Valley or Sonoma. The old vine is like saying small batch. Could be. Yes, a little, a little. I'm, I'm up quarter psalm, actually. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to say <laughs> But the grape is a grape called Verdejo. And one of the reasons why I think this place is pretty special, and it, it butts up against a couple other very special places in the red wine world. Um, you're sitting in basically a high desert. So it's higher elevation. You get really hot days, but you also get very cold nights. So you get this sunshine and all this rich fruit going on, but at night, the temperature drops. And that drop in temperature allows the grape to reset itself and maintain acidity. So just like the Albarino, where you have this rich textured fruit with a little higher alcohol, you also have bright acidity, same thing here. But Verdejo, the grape itself, this will have more rich texture because of the way they wine. They make the wine. They actually put it in barrel and they stir it on the lees and they bring a lot of texture to it. But if this was a stainless steel fermented bright uh, Verdejo, it would be herbaceous and rich fruit. So a really fun combination that you don't normally get in warmer climates where it's just fruit. Um, Steve, this, I'm, looking up, I'm, looking up I'm looking up for Dejo, and it says it has it, it grows between Madrid and Galicia, but it says it has DO status. Do you know yes. DO status? Yes. So, protected denomination of origin. Okay. So, I always like to equate this to what was the I just used the phrase with Ali the other day uh, intellect, intellectual property. I, I see. Yeah. Is it like I, champagne? This is intellectual property. So, the best examples started in France because everything is protected under AOC. Even the cheeses are protected in France. Um, tequila, mezcal, all the agave spirits are protected oh, right. under P, you know, PDO. And most famous wine regions are protected under PDO. Champagne, you can't make champagne anywhere outside of the champagne okay. region. Sparkling You can't wine. make Chateauneuf de Pop. Out of outside of Chateauneuf de Pop, right by Avignon in Southern Rhone. You can't make Rueda anywhere else. This Here is Rueda, go. is a DO. The cool part about this That's is great. so you guys all know Porto, so Port in Portugal. Right. There is a river, the um, Duero River, runs all the way from, let's call it central, eastern central Spain. That river, I think it's 400 miles. It's the main river. Runs all the way through northern Spain into Porto. Um, this little area northwest of Madrid has Ribera del Duero, the banks of the Duero. Nice. It has Toro, which is insane because of the oh. vines themselves grow straight on the ground. They're little bush vines. The grapes are tiny. 
They uh, change how they're growing. They're thicker skins. Still Tempranillo, same as Rioja, same as Rivera del Duero. Then you have Rueda. And these are also bush trained. They're really small. They grow close to the ground so they can keep the heat uh, that absorbed in the rocks at night when the temperature drops. Um, the yields are lower. These are rich wines with bright acidity, very unique. Um, another region, Argentina, has that same sort of temp uh, temperature shift, high desert, lots of sunshine. The grapes grow differently. The UV light affects them so they grow thicker skins. So all that means you don't have to extract as much to get that texture. Um, so Rueda, you're going into rich pear fruit uh, and there's a slight herbaceousness on the back end. This really gives a lot of possibilities and food pairings. Steve, are we then, having these? Are we having these cold? Are these being treated? Yeah. So any other white wine, it's cold. Call these fifty to fifty-five 50 degrees. degrees. Same okay. temperature as like a uh, Chardonnay. Okay. Um, I also, you know, unless you're drinking Vino Verde and. Um, some other bright, crisp whites, Sauvignon Blanc. I like them a little warmer, but you have to remember room temperature isn't cellar temperature. So, I, right. you know, your house, my house is probably 75 degrees right now. It's right. warm outside. Right. Um, I don't have AC on. So you can't well, just leave it sitting gets, on the counter. Temperature doesn't get discussed as much. There's, there's a... No. There's a thing with food, uh, even with food or wine. Like if you have it at the wrong temperature, it's not correct. And yeah, so and it changes your perception of the fruit, the alcohol, the acid. Everything will change depending on the temperature. Yeah. Um, that's a good point. So your refrigerator is normally 40 degrees. So you don't just throw Albarino in the fridge and then just pop it out and start pouring and drinking. Leave it sit out for a little bit. Let it come up to a little temperature. Unless you have a wine fridge, all my fridges are set at 55 <laughs> degrees. Um, I thought you were going to say all my fridges are wine fridges. Steve's fridge in his kitchen is just three wine fridges stacked on each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Like the, all the food's all spoiled. Yes. <laughs> I don't have food uh, in my refrigerator. He only has olives, olives and cheese. Yes. Oh, I know. It is. It is. It is. It's basically all like just like charcuterie. <laughs> yeah. You know, what I mean? have a lot of charcuterie in my fridge. So, almonds. The last wine, and you can tell the difference right away. And I'll tell you why. See the color difference between these two wines. Yes. So yeah. for the podcast listeners, the new one I'm going to talk about is a rich golden color. The Rueda, the old vine Verdejo. Um, is a little more pale. So this is a special wine. It only releases once a year. It's usually gone. I'm lucky in Denver. It's a um, not everybody color. knows about it. So it sits on it's the shelf. So yellow. This yeah, is it's so yellow. It makes me think that it's pee. This like, is it's Rioja Blanco from the famous um, Lopez de Heredia. So that vineyard or that winery in Rioja has been around since 1913 or 1915. Um, this is the Viera grape with a little bit of Malvasia. Um, Malvasia. Yeah, and it sits in barrel for six years. It's only racked twice. So current release, well, this might be uh, one year old. Current release is 2009. This is 2008. That is current release. These are 2019, and I think they're both 2019. How do these guys wait that oh, long no. to drink this This stuff? actually probably just is uh, a year old, so that's 2018. You know, some rosés from Provence are uh, 2020 right now. So this is 12 years older than a wow. current release from Provence. It's 2008. This changes. So, I got to ask this. Yeah. This is just going to be, I, I'm no longer quarter sum. Now I'm back to, <laughs> back to basics. On. Why is it back to basics? Maybe they told me a long time ago it was time for me to get back to basics. Why is it that red wine, you see red wine and it's old, and you see white wine at the store and it's freaking, you know, 
like everything uh, you else. Read like, my mind, Ali. You, you, you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. It depends on the grape, the region, how it's made, the laws. Some laws require you to keep a red wine in the barrel for two years after harvest. So it has to age in the barrel. And then you bottle, and then it has to sit and bottle for a year before they even release it. I think this sits and bottle at the cellar. Well, let's think. I bought this uh, 2020, six years in barrel from, so that's 2014. It sat at the cellar probably for another two years. Or I mean, four years. I've I don't in, think in I've ever heard of, of, of aging white wine for some reason. I feel like yes. it's always a red white thing. Wine. You can go into Chablis and... So, love the fridges. The fridges are. Oh my God. So, this is probably. a 2017 uh, Chablis from Louis Michel. That it's a premiere crew. I'm not going to open this for another four more years. Um, That's so great. I'm just going to come over so and just be like, oops, oops. <laughs> <laughs> so you can age white Burgundy is the most well known uh, aged white wine in the world okay but psalms geeks wine people wine salesmen industry people know about lopez de heredia you in la this wouldn't even hit the shelf this would come in it'd be they would make some emails and some phone calls and say hey guess what lopez de heredia uh just came in and it's gone I'm in Denver. Not everybody knows about it. I walked into a wine shop and they were just putting up their new releases of Lopez de Heredia. And I'm like, can I just buy those? You're not, you're not saving those for anybody. He's like, no. So I bought this. I bought the Rosado. That's interesting though. Like you really, like if one thing I learned, it would almost be to like make friends with your local wine store and figure yes. out how to get on the list Ooh, yeah. so this is their Rosado from 2010. This Beautiful. is current release. This is from the 2010 vintage. These colors are crazy. This stuff looks like freaking Thunderbird. Like, you know what I mean? That's like Kool-Aid red. Yeah. That's, you know what I mean? Crazy, intense color. I mean, you know, every, all this other wine you see, except for red wine, it's like you kind of see the light kind of shoot right through. This is like serious color. Yeah. We could actually spend probably four episodes just talking about Spain as a whole. Um, and for today's show, I'm not even talking about Chocolina from the Basque Country. Um and Godello is another Spanish grape with rich texture. Um, oh, we're not even yeah, talking yeah, about Godello. Yeah. I was kind of, I wanted to narrow just so we didn't go down too many rabbit holes uh, and tangents. I wanted to narrow to two grapes that you're going to find at most wine shops that you're going to really enjoy and have fun pairing with food. And then I wanted to talk about one uber geeky with this Rioja or Blanco. I mean, I would decant it. I would let it come up to maybe 55 degrees. And I would literally just eat this with charcuterie and cheeses, um, funky cheeses. And just really, it almost becomes more about the wine than what you're eating or the pairing. You're enjoying oh, what this wine has become. Yeah. Yeah. I, I won't say it's fully sherry, but there's underlying sherry notes. There's still rich fruit. Um, there's still brightness. This wine is super special. You're going to get more uh, tertiary stuff. So tertiary just means bottle-aged flavors. So you get more forest floor, mushroomy, but there's a balance. It's not just forest floor, mushroom. There's also textured fruit. Let's tap into what we're pairing with this. Let's yeah, tap into the food. Unless Ollie had a different thought. No, no, no. I, I am. And, and to do it, I just want to get like a quick recap so I know what I'm talking about with which. Yep. So let's take it back to, to round one, which I believe was an Albarino, right? Valmont. That's right. Reminds me of Harry Potter. That's why I think of that. Valmont. <laughs> Harry Potter. Um, Albarino. Um, you, you mentioned like, dry. you know, apple pear, there's some acidity there, right? Yeah. These are all dry, by the way. Good point, Ryan. These are all bone dry. Okay. So they're, the sugars are fully fermented by the yeast. Um, mm -hmm. so the Albarino rich fruit pear, um, instead of citrus. So pear, little higher alcohol, 
but really bright acidity. Okay, so so and you said it's dry, meaning it's not going to be well, sweet. Right. Bone dry, which is a great term. What's bone dry? No, that just means there's not going to be any perception of sweetness on the palate. Interesting. You're not going to it's not like drinking a Central Coast uh, Chardonnay from California that actually has residual sugar left in it. Um, so what do people do? Is, is seafood a quick uh, go-to with this? I know uh, Spain has a lot of paella. They have the shrimp and the uh, mussels and that sort of thing. I always like to tell people to think about where it comes from. So this is Rias Baches, northwest coast of Spain. So this is on the Atlantic. And what is that? The Bay of Biscayne right at the edge. Yeah. Um, you're on the water. So these are all rivers dumping into the ocean. And so, so estuaries. Um, so seafood is the first, you know, immediate uh, example. And then let's go to Rueda. So this is continental. This is inside Spain, northwest of Madrid. Um, but because of the cold nights, the switch in temperature, you have still have high acidity. The grape itself provides the herbaceousness, and then you have the rich fruit from all the sunshine. So you get a broad spectrum of flavors, complexity, but refreshing acidity, so your palate is cleaned off and dry. Ollie, and then what's, this what's is your more serious one. What, what seafood do you eat? Yeah, naturally? you know, okay, so, so let's, let, let me figure this out. Now, what's really interesting about this is I have to use my brain and my imagination, but also kind of not make it but simple. What, what do you so, like, though? You know, what, what's if you I'm tasting, if I'm tasting this wine, and I'm talking about the Albarino, the first one, the Valmont, right? The what you know, um, you said it's co. I mean, you're bringing your stuff of like we're, and I love every time he has to talk about like, are we in the ocean? Are we in the desert? Are we on a mountain? Are yes. we in a cave? You know, different <laughs> somewhere. I'm like, do I need a sweater, Steve, or should I wear my swim trunks? Tell me what I should wear. Right. We gotta call Patagonia and, and get our orders in for the tasting. Yeah, wardrobe. We like Patagonia too. Yeah, it's like I have to think about wardrobe. So you know, it looks sounds like I'm getting my trunks um, by the water with this stuff, right? Uh, Flip flops. Um, you said pear. Um, you said it's really dry. So the first thing I think about, and part of it is because you put the fruit in my head. It's going to be kind of unusual. This probably might catch you in a weird way. But you said seafood, right? You know what I'm thinking about having with this? And it's going to seem weird. Slippery shrimp. You ever have slippery shrimp? No, never heard slippery of it. Slippery shrimp. Slippery shrimp's like, um, it's like, okay, so you have sweet and sour shrimp, right? So it's yeah. a Chinese food dish. There's a place in downtown L.A. I think it might be Phoenix Inn. So kind of an old school Chinese restaurant. One of those places it's not necessarily totally Americanized. But at the same time, it's not part of the uh, kind of the Chinese restaurant you might hear about that's like, oh, well, this is Sichuan. Right. You know what I mean? They got a big menu. It's kind of broad. So Slippery Shrimp is one of those like, it's one of those. It, it's a Chinese food that three generations of Americans will be like, heck yeah, this is great. And they may not have a freaking clue what soup dumplings is, right? <laughs> it's just one of those things where, you know, it's it's there. And, you know, when you get them to, it's not just like the little like tails, you know what I mean? It'll be like not necessarily the whole shrimp, but big ones. It'll have some breading. It'll have just some sweetness in it, but it's not drowning in sauce the way sweet and sour shrimp is. When you brought, brought up these wines and you brought up the pear and you brought up the fact that they're so dry, it made me think, well, I want something kind of Swedish mm -hmm. to kind of cut. You know what I mean? Yeah. To kind of slap against it. Let, me, um, let me clarify one thing. Let me clarify one thing on the bone dry. So what I mean by bone dry is the actual chemistry of the wine. So if you tested for sugar, there would be very, very low residual sugar. That doesn't mm -hmm. talk about impressions or perceptions. So if you're going to drink something, you might have the perception of, uh, you're not going to have the perception of bone dry, which, you know, your palate is just completely cleansed. There's no real fruit right. on it. Right. Because of the richer fruit on this wine, you're going to have a perception of the richer fruit, uh, not fruit loops, but 
pear on its way to tropical, um, maybe kind of guava. Um, so your impression of the wine sipping it isn't necessarily bone dry. So that means bracingly dry. Yeah, okay, so, uh, uh, you know, I'm sticking with my guns, though, man. As soon as you said guava, now I'm thinking about, you know, Trader Vic's Mai Tais. Mm -hmm. That slippery shrimp, I'm sticking with it. Still okay. going to have a little bit of bread and a little bit of sweetness. I have other ideas, but I think it might work for number two. Refresh me on what wine number two is. Wine number two is the Rueda. So this is in okay. the, you know, call it a high desert. I don't know if it's technically classified as a desert. I call it a desert because it's low rainfall. Um, the, gr the vines grow really close to the ground. There's a huge temperature swing between day and night that allows for the uh, acidity to be retained. Um, but you get richer fruit from the sunshine. You get the herbaceousness from the nature of the grape. And then you have that acidity that also brightens everything on the finish. Um, this is, you know, it's not Oceanside. So you can pair this. This can go into your chicken. Maybe dishes. some livestock. Yeah, maybe some farm, yeah, yeah. farming. Start into the farm animals. This is what I'm thinking. Ready? <laughs> and this is more about the sauce. Ooh. I'm thinking. Yes. And you got to yes. do a good job with it. You got to do a good job with it. Um, but I want, I want pork chops with an applesauce yeah. and that's spiced and spiked almost like a, a sweet fruit chutney. Yeah. Okay. Um, that, that's what I was thinking yeah. about. I was like, I bet, you know, like it, 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 it's interesting with some white wines cause you're starting to be like, you know, maybe you don't have to just have the lightest food or seafood or whatever. Right. Um, but, but I thought about, you know, I, you, you kept bringing a pear. I started thinking about, like, basically that fruit in a savory setting. Yep. And I think if, you know, not, not you know, it's, it's kind of funny because there's bad, you know, just garbage applesauce. But, you know, if you cook down apples, you know yeah. what I mean? Now, like you said, chutney style, up, like. Touch a cinnamon. Just a little, the subtleties of clove, of basically pumpkin pie spice. Just yeah, love nice. it in that. Down yeah. apples. On a pork chop with that wine, I think could be pretty interesting. This is a challenge because I'm using essentially my imagination. I should taste this. Yes. If I could taste it, I could be like, mm, here we go. So this is kind yeah, of fun. You know, it might be interesting to revisit this and go, did it taste like I thought it would? You know, right. um, but I will tell you, and I almost want to back up to that last one where I said the slippery shrimp. You kind of got me into the whole well seafood. You know what I was thinking about? Weird. I want to get weird with my tasting, <laughs> right? With my pairing, yeah. right? So with that first one, the Albarino, the Valmont, you said bone dry, not a lot of sugar in it. You know what I have? So weird. A McDonald's apple pie with charred <laughs> Indian chutney. Swear to wow. God. Think about that. I like Think wow. about that. You know, you just, you know, it's an apple pie. It's kind of like whatever. But then you have like the chutney in there. And I mean, I like spicy, sour mango chutney. Not that sweet, oh, okay. but in this case... I would have it with that just to see what that because it's about the wine. It's not like I'm really desperate to eat this apple pie. It's about what can I put in here to change yeah. my Starbucks coffee. No, you know what the wine would be. It's you know, and that actually leads me to my third choice. Okay. My okay. third choice for that last crazy heavy wine. Now I have to tell you, I think I have come across a wine like this before it looks very familiar and you know i have you know and then i love when you do find those whites that are older or whatever because it means there's more to it so there's more oomph. let's just get that out the way if you've got a date like that there's going to be more oomph you ready so this is a dish that i think is just bizarre it's kind of weird like you know people love it but at the same time i kind of question it but i feel like with this wine 
you just got to be careful. You don't want to have anything super. That wine can overwhelm so many foods. Like you brought up charcuterie, like cheese, salami, kaboom, kaboom. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you're, you're, you're six inches from a heavyweight boxer. Like, oh, oh, you know what I mean? You feel those jabs. Ready? Yeah. Yes. Biscuits and gravy. Holy shit. Why not? Biscuits and gravy is a weird dish. Unless you have a really, really, really flavorful sausage, which at best technically is still just going to be sage because it's a country sausage. I'm not shitting you already. I was on the phone this morning with a guy, and he was trying to pitch me on biscuits and gravy. I can't believe you said that because he was like, dude, have you ever been to Virginia? Like, you got to get biscuits and gravy. And so, like, you saying that. So I, I have to hear more. It's just, it's, it's, it's just a bizarre dish where it's like, you know, it's tasty and it's comforting, but it's overwhelming. It's so filling. And like the flavor, there's just not a lot of complexity to it. I think it, he right? was joking but about it being bread like in the gravy and then you pour the gravy on the bread. It's bread, bread and yeah. bread sauce. Gravy <laughs> is bread sauce. It's just like for reals. But, you know, I also think about this. All of this is about honestly not about enjoying the food first and foremost it's about enjoying this wine mm-hmm. like seeing how these flavors how this wine uh-huh. can be something which and it's interesting with this last one because it sounds like it's one of those things where this puppy can stand on its own, on its own. It's sure. on its yeah. own. so that's why i'm like let's let's have some like biscuits and gravy where it's like i'm not i don't care yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean biscuits and gravy yeah but you know, it's just, it's something that's rich. It's gonna like kind of swallow up your mouth. It should cease whatever the wine is, and just just to kind of go back and hit it. The other thing I thought about, and I just think, and and part of it is like I'm making a case for like this is kind of bland. You know what I mean? Like this isn't like some dynamic crazy flavor. I thought about a basic. I mean, it could be. You could argue it's fancy. It doesn't matter. It could be out of the freezer or whatever. Chicken pot pie. Chicken pot pie. And I even thought about Marie Callender's frozen chicken pot pie from the freezer in the oven. Because I almost feel like you just want like, yeah, like the idea of this super awesome, powerful wine that would frankly blow away so many dishes at the restaurant that it would be at. You know what I mean? You have to be very careful about using yeah. it. I feel like at a restaurant that would have that. Maybe it's fancy restaurant will figure this out. But I just think like, hey, I want to try this wine with these foods. I'm not worried about this food. You know what I mean? It's just there. But it's just something to kind of go, mm, boom. You know what I mean? It's just, This is me like kind of like washing it away. Going back for more. So, so yeah, chicken pot pie, biscuits, and gravy. I know roasted chicken's probably not really cool in the culinary world, you know, lately. Oh, I think <clears> one of the greatest. It's still one of my favorite cooking. things. Yeah. You're ripping into the roasted chicken. You're pulling out the two oysters. You're just, and if it's made correctly, um, it's juicy. That's yeah. Lopez de Heredia and a roasted chicken mm. would be perfect. Mm. Um, oh, so the last one, yeah, roast chicken, yeah, and you're sitting there, and your your hands are greasy, and your gra- your glass is about to fall out of your hand. Um, you're sipping on this just unbelievably yeah. complex, beautiful wine. Uh, there's going to be a lot of symmetry going on between those two things. You're going to elevate everything. All right, now that you said that. There was a random restaurant that did this, and it's kind of weird. You know, LA's known for dips. You've got Philippe's, Philippe's, whatever you want to call it. And what's kind of funny about that place, for what it's worth, is it's this celebrated institution. It's not the world's greatest dip. Like, I'm not saying, like, I can find 50 places that do a better dip than that, but it's not exactly, like, super flavorful. But one of the things they're smart about is it doesn't have to be Roast beef. In fact, roast beef is kind of. I like the lamb. The lamb. Right. Just the lamb their beef. Their beef's not very flavorful. That's a whole other yeah. scenario. <laughs> but there was another restaurant that did a um a roasted chicken dip, like baguette, roasted chicken, like cut thin, 
dipped in the au jus. Nice. Yeah. That's what I have with that one. Yeah, yeah. I would want to have a like a chicken, well, roasted chicken dip with au jus and that one. Yeah. Just like schmaltz, man. You know, like, yeah, let's do that. Or 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 potatoes cooked in like what is it? Like duck fat fries, Ooh. maybe yeah. with aioli. But you know, Blankster, again, Blankster was big on those uh, duck fat like, fries. I want that wine to just be, you know, it's like just, you know, this is the thing. So, okay, you have two options here. You can have duck fat fries or the Marie Callender's frozen chicken. <laughs> Either way, I think you're going to put that wine on a pedestal. Just you, you hear me out. I will send you that frozen chicken pot pie, and I want you to try it. All right. <clears throat> I'm gonna, you can, if you don't want to, just have the duck fat fries on standby. Let me but bring I think up, that's it. Let me bring up one other restaurant right. that you guys may or may not know about. Um, the whole Chinese idea with the first wine, the Albarino, got my mind going. There is a restaurant downtown uh, L.A. in a basement. It's called Peking Tavern. It's two Beijing architects that I think either was they were probably transferred. They work in L.A. Um, they're from uh -huh. Beijing. The story is they missed... Beijing food. So they opened a restaurant in this basement underneath. It's kind of by Taroni downtown. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's in the yeah. basement. Um, they have a noodle guy that just makes noodles every day. Um, then there's a lot of spice in the food. So that Abarino will stand up to that spice, fruit and spice. Um, they also have a dumpling lady. She just makes dumplings all day long. The food at this place is unbelievable really it's it's so good um you know i never yeah. made it there i lived walking distance mm. to it and i can tell you right now it, austin is not los angeles when it comes to asian no. food and like like when you said beijing i was you know what you know like as i think about like I mean, it's just wild. And then to think about, and here I am talking about chicken pot pies from Marie Calvin. Let me let me submit a um, a Southern California option to this. I once you spoke about all those wines, I thought of the fish taco, like the battered fish taco, of course, with the cabbage. They got a little white sauce they put on it. There's yep. the yep. pico de gallo and the all sorts of salsas, which I think would tie in with the Spanish sort of thing, um, sort of a, um, what do you call it? You know, they call Southern California sometimes the, you know, there's a Riviera, you know, the Mexican Riviera sort of vibes that are, that seep into Southern California. You know what? Everything you said, when I think about that Baja fish taco, so like that thick beer batter, you know yeah. what I mean? Like um, the slaw. I, honestly, it's like it's either crema. Sometimes it's freaking mayo and crema, right, right. right? I think pico de gallo for sure. I almost feel like almost salsa light. Or if, if it's just pico and freaking mayo and that fried fish. Tomato. And that, Maybe tomato in there somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially I mean, the Rueda. The Rueda with those fish tacos. Oh, the Rueda. Oh, yeah. That's what you're saying. The you middle go in there. Yep. The desert. Yeah. I mean, the Albarino you know, would pair nice too, but you can. Yeah, I was thinking the Albarino, but I will say this my last. So, you know, the, the Albarino, the Valmont, you know, in Rise of the Harry Potter, the villain, I think. Uh, when you did talk about the Rueda, one way to remember that one for people like me who were like, wait, what was that? You said hot days, cold nights. Sounds like a, a racy dating show on Netflix when he kept bringing that up. Hot days, cool nights. nights. Yeah, I just, I just kind of pictured like really, really good-looking people, F boy like, Island, just all having <laughs> with each yeah. other in different times, and you're like, "Well, you basically are all with each other." You know what I mean? Yeah, I think. I guess. Hey, one we um real quick on the fish taco thing. Are you guys best fish taco in Ensenada fans? The one in Los Feliz. Yeah. 
Yeah, the little shack. Yeah, I mean, I just didn't go there often enough. I mean, I always like Marisco's, Jalisco's, too. I, in, in the end of the day, I never got them as much as I should have. Right. You know? I've been staying in yeah. uh, the OC part of uh, Southern California, and, I mean, everyone's all about fish tacos. Like, there's, there's a huge... Um, well, in L.A., too. I mean, L.A. is basically 50% Latin at this point, so... To not yeah. to not mention Mexican food, I mean it's it's the best. It's my I love it, and so it's just it's all around. So when I hear that white wine, everyone thinks to pair like a cold you know Corona or a cold beer with the um, the fish taco, but I think the white wine chilled is like that's a real. You know what? You're like, absolutely. I. You know what? You're you're you nailed it. I think it's those stupid Corona ads. Those Corona ads make Corona taste way better than it is. <laughs> hey, and it's not bad. On that, but note, it ain't pork and chili verde. Um, oh. one of my favorite dishes in southern in L.A. Um, that Rueda would go. I think Ali mentioned pork with a apple sauce. Pastor. The spice and the pork and chili verde with that wine. Yeah. You know what? Al Pastor pork chop. Mm. That's what <laughs> For some reason, I picture like sinking my teeth into a protein. You know, like, you know, it, it's funny. One thing with the taco is a wine, you sip, right? Beer you drink, you sip, but you're kind of right, drinking right. it faster. It's getting warm. It's the getting temperature, less busy. It's cold. I you eat fat. You know, I picture with wine a fork and knife and just uh -huh. digging into something and sawing it and having that bite and, you know, like grabbing that last chunk of that chop, dragging it through that sauce. Hit, you know what I mean? Like something that will pace well with where that glass is. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, also, I plan on drinking it out of the fishbowl. <laughs> so, there's that. So, I'm going to have to Yeah, Al Pastor. Maybe, yeah. so, you know, Taco Tuesday is uh, is big, right? Maybe so on Taco Tuesday, maybe I get the two fish and the two pork to have with the yeah. white wine. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah you're right. You just get more tacos. Get more. That's the Buy more tacos. Yeah. Just get more <laughs> I used to Actually, see... Yeah. I, I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah. I used to see these wines on wine lists a lot more. I... Used to see Spanish wines somewhere in the mix. I don't necessarily see Spanish wines or Albariño, Rueda, Tor, all the other wines uh, on that many wine lists. But should be on a bottle list at a restaurant that you're going in. Um, grab that, some tacos, some whatever. One thing, too, before we wrap it out. You mentioned that first bottle, the Albariño, roughly around in the $15 mark. What about the Rueda and then the last right. wine? Let me just look this up because I honestly don't remember. Um, uh, and Steve, like you, like you mentioned, I mean, this, I don't think we really uh, got to all the Spanish wines. So maybe we could do a part two on this and dig deeper into it um, in future ones. Yeah, why not? We'll do it in a couple weeks. Let's uh, come back to Spain and um, we can start talking. It's going to get even colder here in November. We can start talking about oh, just right. the range of Spanish reds that are out there. Yeah, is amazing. Yeah, um, I always look across the board. Spain hat carries with it a lot of value. Yes, yeah. Yes. Like, do you all remember straight up back in the day? Like, you would go to Trader Joe's. And you get that Rioja. Yeah. And that was like good wine. Like it was yeah. good. It was good. Yeah. And it was like not that expensive at all. Like that was the bucks. new table wine, right? It was like that would be your table wine instead of the classic Italian or whatever. So I yeah. have I have prices for you. The yes. Nicia, the uh, Bodegas uh, Ordonias Verdejo from Rueda, fifteen dollars. Huh. Speaking Gee. of value. And then well, before you reveal it, Crosby, you know this is going to be expensive, right? So, shall we make a wager? You know what I mean? I, I'm going to make a wager here. I, I I will pay you on Venmo. I was like, oh, how am I going to pay you back? Oh, you know, who cares? You have to be Venmo this thing. What do you think this wine is uh, going to Forty-seven. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm going to say, oh, 
32. Now I just went Price yeah, is Right. Now I just went for a So average price on Wine Searcher was $68. Ooh. I'm going to say, I, I, in my memory, I think I spent 57 Could have been 59 57 um, sounds a lot like 47 so I like 57 Yeah. Plus, Price yeah, is Right that, rules, that, you win. Yeah. <laughs> you were close. Dang, to man. Jeez. Wow. All right. Good to know. You know what? Not sure. Now that I know it was a $60 bottle of wine, not sure if I'd want to get the old Marie Calendars for <laughs> yeah. He wasn't too enthused. I, now he's wide. Yeah, I didn't want to spoil that either, so that's why I didn't say anything about the price. Um, I wanted you to yeah, that. Yeah, that changes everything. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and now I feel like, you know what, I'll say this. I'm pretty sure you can... We were talking about that wine, and you talked about a great roast chicken. Which, by the way, frankly, if people have asked me this in the past, like, you know, what's your what would be your last meal? Like, perfect, okay. whatever. Sort of God, roast chicken. I I I I stumbled upon a roast chicken recipe. I, I I posted it last year during quarantine cooking times, and I've been cooking it for probably since like 2005 so 2006 good. you know just I, I found uh the recipe um just online ancient internet days cast iron pan whole chicken you can trust it you don't have to trust it kind of doesn't matter really it just for looks in my opinion um bottom of the pan carrots onion celery potatoes surrounding chicken goes on Boom. top um herbs, olive oil, salt, pepper. I pop that sucker in the oven. I used to do a whole thing where it's like cook it at 400 degrees for the first 20 minutes, then drop it down to 350. I have a, you know, probe thermometer, pull that chicken when the thigh hits 165, yada, yada, yada. Um, Basically, now I just roasted at 350. It's fine. Pull the chicken out. You pull uh, the potatoes out. You take all the um, juices from the pan, uh, the carrots, onion, celery. You put it in a strainer. You pour white wine. I'm trying to think how I did this. Oh, to make some uh, jus? Oh, no, yes, yes, yes. You basically pour wine. uh, you, You strain the vegetables. You pour the juices back into the pan with some wine, and you just reduce it. And it's like freaking, it's basically like, it's, you know, you, if you don't do the wine, it's like good. When you do the wine, it's like, I feel like it's like I'm at the restaurant. You know what I mean? That's like just that extra notch. That's like restaurant cooking. The average person might not know to do that sort of thing where you're, you're extracting juice and, and pouring things back into dishes. Like that's such a move. That is such a great move that people, the average home cooker, could uh, learn is is that sort of thing and then like you said you know adding a a, a acidic or a wine element yeah, orange step. juice yep. whatever juice or wine yeah that's really a yeah. cool uh tip for the average it, yeah. home chef home somal and frankly one of the best meals i think you could ever eat and steve is right the best way to eat it too honestly there's a very small window of perfection from when you break the chicken down to plating it. You know, sometimes you can let the meat rest, but once you cut into it, and I still let the whole chicken rest, but I swear to God, the best bites are on the cutting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the oil oil and the water is still there. 40% of the flavors on the cutting board. Don't ask me, you know what I mean? Hey, before we go, I want to put some perspective on that price. I know that price is a little high for the uh, uh, Lopez de Heredia. It's an old wine. So, oh, hey, it's an old, old wine. Yeah, it's an old wine. That was in barrel for six years, then rested at the winery, and then released. Let's call it 10, just for uh, ease. I think it actually was released even later. Um, that takes a lot of effort and time. And um, So, in perspective, that uh, Chablis that I mentioned earlier, the Premier Accru, uh Luis Michel, um, this is around $40 a bottle. Um, the Grand Cru of this would be more like 75 or 80. If we go to a more 
geeky, sought after uh, Chablis. I'm a big Chablis fan. Davisette. Um, this is uh, the Premier Accru. This is $140, Whoa. $150 a bottle. Um, if you're talking about, if you go down into uh, the Cote d'Or, into Burgundy for a Merceau, a top producer of Merceau, small production, Don't do guess, Don't do it. guess, just guess what that might cost. Uh, what was the last price? One arm? Yeah. Yeah, seven, it's going to be around seven fifty wow. a bottle. Um, for one of the top Merceau producers, yes. Um, so, in what do, you, what, what do you eat with a seven hundred fifty dollar bottle of wine? Well, I would, I would age it, and then I would just drinking up, drink it on its own. Baby seals, baby on seals, yeah, yeah, and cheese. Um, Everything I, I could sit around and eat cheese plates every single day, every day. Stinkier the better. Yeah, he's right. Baby seals. Yeah, he literally. <laughs> You're just oh a violent person if you're God. buying a seven hundred dollar yeah. wine. So I mean, put that in perspective. This is only fifty five dollars. This is, you know, this is. You a know very what? He did a really good job. He did an excellent job because I think one of the interesting things is he kind of. Th when I think about that roast chicken that I love to make, that's uh, such an amazing dish. I'm kind of like, oh yeah, I'll just just get a bottle of white wine. Like you don't think about a heavy hitting. Heavy hitter, expensive bottle right. of white. Red, sure. White, not as much. So that, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm a. It's, it's, it's. Well, you know, you know, as the temp changes, as the nip gets in the air, you know, I might put that wine on my Thanksgiving list. What do you think there about you them apples? I was gonna bring that up, but we're a little too far out from Thanksgiving, so I thought we could mention it in the Thanksgiving. Uh, that's good to know. Wait until we get into the Spanish Reds. I mean, there's just a whole unknown world that. to most people. So let's yeah. let's wrap it up for today, you guys. This has been a okay. gosh. I mean, Steve, you bring so much to the table. It's unbelievable. I, I feel like I need to research this entire episode that I just experienced. And um, yeah, and so and we'll come up with our food challenges for the week that we start promoting this and stuff. I think yeah, we have yes. some uh, roasted chicken to eat, maybe a battered fish taco, and then again, pot, pot pie. yeah, then again, pot pie. I don't think you um, even touched upon all of the wines of Spain. So hopefully, we can do another Spanish wine episode at some point down the line. Yeah. Straight up white wine and Taco Tuesday. I'm gonna Bro. make that happen. That's an easy. That's an easy. Yeah. That's an easy. easy. Yeah. So, thank you guys. Any finishing words, Steve? I uh, know. Um, is you know, I, I like this. Uh, for, I'm gonna go with the frozen pot pie as my challenge. I mean, I I don't think I've had a frozen pot pie since I was a, a child. Is there Marie Calendar um, in, in Colorado or no? Well, I would think frozen Marie Calendars are oh, uh, ship it. in every grocery store on the planet. Possibly. Right, now, right? I don't know. I don't know about that brand. But the, the, that's what yeah. we'll investigate when it comes to it. Yeah. But that's that's yeah. what I will do. I will not do, you know, uh, an off-brand of frozen all right, all right. Uh, chicken uh, pot pie. Well, I'm only doing Marie Calendars. He's not going to open that wine with that. <laughs> So I just put a pin in it. The whole point, if you just are like, hey, I went and ate some garbage frozen food. <laughs> That's not a challenge. That's just a waste of your time. And it's just going to be, you know, he's just going to hit me with hate later. Like, why did I do this? I'll have it with that room. I didn't know how much that price was. But I, but I would just add to this. Um, you know, something along the lines of the biscuit and gravy and stuff. Because, you know, I was thinking yeah. about a white wine and a, a white wine that would pair with something, you know, like kind of a richer food. A richer white wine uh, with richer food. We live in Denver. I, I feel like in the food world, there's a, and this is, you know, Denver's, I think, is a restaurant scene, Denver city, is. kind of a new but people say, you know, and it's not just, maybe it's because of the Denver omelet, who knows, but it's a breakfast town. So I would say, 
it'd be very interesting for you to find a good brunch spot. Okay. Right? There's a good biscuits and gravy joint. But I would find like a good, that's my March order for you. Okay. White wine breakfast. Ooh. Steve Greer's gonna make that happen. White wine with white wine, not mimosas, not Bloody Mary, white wine with a brunch. I, I, I don't know, I'm thinking, yeah, you know, maybe Eggs Benedict. I mean, that seems like a fair, you know, holidays, wine, sure. But that that's my challenge to you. I'll do it. You know, wine, Denver's a big breakfast town. <clears throat> Find me a brunch and the white wine that should go with it since we're kind of in the white wine. Sure, Spanish, whatever you want. The world's your oyster. All right. My it'll be, world, and it'll be winter when we do this, too. So it'll be just, it'll be extra, extra, you know, greasy. Love it. I right. see Frosty on the pumpkin from Love here. <laughs> All right, guys, well, let's let's tap out for today's episode. I'll check in with you guys in a week. It was so fun to get back with you guys, and I I, I, I wish the Falcon was with us, but it's not. But we have the white wine, and we have all the food pairings, and so let's sign off, you guys. Episode one of season two. Eat this, drink that. See you guys. Live long and prosper.